Welcome to the Riot Podcast, where we have practical discussions on how to share your faith, see the news from God's eyes, and answer some of faith's hardest questions. Welcome to the Riot Podcast. This is Bob Shoneman alongside Mac Daddy Pete Robertson. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing great. I love that intro. Happy Halloween. No kidding. Can I say that? And it just happened like, what, two days ago? <laughs> I, you know, Halloween is like one of those places that... I mean, I don't know. I've gone to the like harvest things, you know, at churches and yeah, stuff. Yeah. And the trunk or treats. Yeah. The trunk or treats. <laughs> but I always think is why are we Christians promoting decaying your teeth and, and eating improperly? Why are we promoting that? And building your waistline. It's, Speaking of which, what's your favorite candy? I would say it would be. Oh man. Reese's peanut butter cups yeah. maybe, or like almond joys or. They have nuts. Mounds don't. Yeah. My wife loves Kit Kats. Mine, mine too. Maybe yeah. it's a wife thing. Yeah. There was a, sense. I saw a meme the other day and it was like, it had like eight different candy bars. You need to pick your top three. And for me, it was easy. It was Reese's Heath peanut butter, Heath bar, number yeah. one, Reese's number two, three musketeers. Number three. I like Heath bar, like on yogurt or like Ooh, on top of your ice cream. Yeah. Like the sprinkle. And I like freezing it. Yeah. Same with Three Musketeers. When I would get them when I was a kid doing trick-or-treating, because I was a heathen, and um, I would freeze those Three Musketeer bars, and I would you take like a hammer or something, and you crack it, and then you eat the pieces. That's cool. So good. When I was so a good. kid, I ate Baby Ruth's. That's all I ate. Really? Yeah. It was... Uh, because it, you were a pitcher? It was ingrained in me that that was the baseball <laughs> snack to eat. Like, if you want to throw it 100 miles an hour, you've uh, got to eat Baby you Ruth. you got to have a Baby Ruth. <laughs> Do they even make baby this stuff? I think so. Yeah. Oh. I don't know that that's ever going away. Is there like a candy bar called dollar or something or money or a uh, $100,000 bar? Is that what it is? I think it was. It was like, it was really good too. It was like it had peanuts, right? No, it had like Rice Krispies, caramel, chocolate, if I remember right. Uh-huh. Is there another Man, one that has like. I don't seeing that anymore. That was really good. So when I was in the corporate world back in the days, I would buy boxes and boxes of those. And whenever anybody, the sales team or everybody did good, I always give them these candy bars. Hundred grand, hundred grand. Maybe, Maybe that's, that's what it was. was hundred yeah. grand. And I would always just give out these candy bars. <laughs> okay, big spending. Yeah, that was my that was my thing. <laughs> but yeah, going back to Halloween, I, is it just me or like I, I don't get how these people decorate. I mean, look, I was driving to your house today to do the podcast, and I went by this house, and they've got a, a wagon. And then like a skeleton of a horse and then like all these, all these other skeletons and they're just celebrating death. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I just, I cringe every time I see it. And don't you dare put up Christmas decorations in October. <laughs> oh my goodness. The HOA will go, not the HOA, but your neighbors on your HOA page, they'll go nuts. <laughs> How dare you put up Christmas decorations and, and taint their, their death holiday. <laughs> So anyway, well, I, have, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little hard on I Halloween, two, but I have two stories. So a few <laughs> couple weeks ago, we were watching your dog, and um, thank you, Lexi. For that, by the way, yeah. oh, and my daughter. Yeah, but, yeah, thank you. And and we t- we every night we took Lexi for a walk, and we're walking around, and she was fine with all the decorations, but there was this one decoration where this the blow ups were really evil. <laughs> and she stops and barks <laughs> like crazy at this decoration. It That's was hilarious. 
And we stopped her laughing at it. We had to get her to go because she was like, that's not good. That was an evil. Dogs so, can sense yeah. evil. So she didn't yeah. like that one. And then um, the next thing is uh, in that walk, that same walk, we walked by this one house and they had their Christmas tree up. They had all their lights up. They had everything already set up inside. And we're looking at it going, what in the world? So maybe that's about- what I'll start doing. I'll start setting up my Christmas decorations, October 1st. We've always talked about leaving our Christmas tree up because it's, because it's for us, it's a pain in the butt to put it up, put it down and just decorate it every holiday. So 4th of July, we put all the 4th of July stuff all over our tree. Oh, red, Easter, white, and blue. We put Easter, hearts on it for Thanksgiving, for Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day, Thanksgiving, you put all that. Thanks tree. Yeah. Aww. So that's what we were thinking. That you better use fun. a fake tree though, because it's. We have a fake ugly. tree. Oh. Yeah. But that's why we would leave it up all week. Yeah, fake. You have a real tree. <laughs> I want, can well, you, you buy plan, a real tree? It? I guess you could have a different tree pot. every month. Keep it in a pot. Where would we be able to do that? We can go find a real tree every month. But I think they need. Oh, you mean get a yeah, get a yeah. new tree. Yeah, yeah. Get the f- Christmas tree farm. It's not like they just pop up in November. No, they're all around. <laughs> they're pretty much growing year round. <laughs> My son has it. My son at Christmas he gets to go in the back country and cut down his own tree. See, yeah, he lives in Oregon. That, what a yeah. If you live in Oregon and you don't go cut your own tree, I mean, I mean, that's fun. The, my favorite part is the smell. Yeah. Your whole house smells like pine trees. So awesome. I've never, I've never cut down my own tree. No way. Never. You have not lived. I know. I want to do it. Oh, you need to do that. I've never done it before. I think there are some Christmas tree farms, like a little north of Orlando. But yeah, it's not the same if it's 85 degrees. (laughs) In California, we would have great weather when I was a kid growing up. It's all the time great weather. And what we always look forward to is the mountains because the mountains always had snow on Christmas. And I love the mountains. So we would always have the, you know, the mountains and we would do that and then go surfing, you know, on Christmas day, kind of what we did, but that was the best world. When you come to uh, Florida though, we might have a hundred degree weather on Christmas. <laughs> and so our mountains are amazing, but then you put snow on top of them. They're just, they're gorgeous. But speaking of weather, we've had really good weather in Florida for the last yes. year. I love the milder weather. Yes. Yeah. I'm actually wearing a sweatshirt right now. It's yeah. awesome. And nice. So we've got an exciting show today. It's like a grand finale. It's almost kind of. it's almost like we need to have a party with it or something. I feel like yeah. that. You know, because <clears throat> we got this started and you're like, oh, it'll take 21 weeks. And I said, it'll take three years. I was closer. <laughs> how long Not is it? that it was a competition. How long did it take? It took uh, about 20 months, I think. It 22, did? 20. What is it's It's almost November. About Actually, a year and this a half. show's going to come out November 2nd. Yeah, yeah. So like a year and a half. Yeah. yeah. Going through the Gospel of John. Yeah. But, we, but anybody that's listening now, you know, the last three weeks we've yeah. done uh, current events with Israel. Right. Um, so we've done a lot of that because current events and things happen. Yeah, we it yeah. hasn't been every week. Yeah. If we were to do it every week, maybe we would have it done within a year. <laughs> Who knows? We would have. I'm just I like busting your chops on a little bit, but it was uh it was it just definitely fun. it was hard though to do it every single week. Um truthfully, because there's so much um uh, involved in the study of it. Um, not saying that we don't study on all the other ones we do, but it's just when you yeah, really it's not like it was just Luke, you know, it's it was John. We had to do extra study. Well, not just that. I'm kidding. Whenever I'm you're kidding. doing expository kind of doing what expository when it's all throughout the whole. That's not what church. I thought you said. Anyway, uh, 
it it takes a little bit more. And so these are this like deep diving in John 21, man, it just rocked my world. You know, we went into like certain, like, we're going to talk about, you know, just follow me. We're going to talk about that, that word that Jesus said. And it was yeah. just, it's, there's so much in there. And then when we're doing our special event kind of shows, um, we're doing study because we need to know what we're talking about. Sometimes we don't have a clue what we're talking about. We're still talking about it. Um, but for the most part, we know we're talking about our secrets, Pete. <laughs> but for the most part, we know what we're talking about. But we still, but it's not the same level of study. That's that's kind of what it is. So when you go expository teaching, it takes a little bit more effort. And I think that's why it was hard to do that every single week is my, I guess, what I'm saying. Fair enough. Fair enough. Ready to get going? But yeah, but it's just been, a, it's been an amazing journey. Yep. I think we both were very fond of the book of John. Oh, I love it. And uh, love it. You know why, to me, it just revealed, and I think this is what John, through the Holy Spirit, is trying to do. He's just, he's just trying to show us who Jesus is, the character of Jesus, and that he really is God. And I just, that's all. It's, it's I mean, Jesus equals God. Jesus equals God. Je I mean, that's the, that's John, right? Just through and through and through and just, and, uh, it's so and amazing. It, and he's coming from a different perspective. He's not the three, you know, other gospels. He's coming from a whole different perspective, like you said, and he's writing after the fact. So it's almost like John is refuting all the naysayers. Hmm. It's almost like he's, he's like, hey, wait a minute, I'm an eyewitness of this and I need to prove to you. That's a good point. Yeah. That, so he's, he's hearing, it's like, He's reading Facebook and he's like, no, yes. that, that's yes. not what happened. I was there. Yes. This is what happened. Yes. Yeah. So, and because he lived later and then we know some of this too, because of his uh, disciples, Polycarp, Ignatius and their writings that we can, you know, go back and say, yeah, he wrote this in a little bit later, but he was really just proving that all the heresy and all of the false teaching that was happening, he was just putting it to bed. And just proving with Asha, ah, uh -uh, let me tell you this. I'm an eyewitness and I'll tell you the actual truth. And that's kind of why it's different because he really focused in on Jesus, 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 okay. and not really the stories, but really the miracles and, and what took. So, all right. Okay. All right. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we have really, really enjoyed this journey through the book of John. And I, I thank you. I thank the Holy Spirit for just speaking through John as he, he shared this book with us, Lord. And, uh, I hope our listeners, I hope and pray our listeners have been uh, as intrigued and interested and uh, just diving into this book like we have. And uh, I just pray that it's made a difference in their lives in that it points them to you, Lord. And I know it's done that with me. I know Pete feels the same way, Lord, and we just are just so, so grateful. So thank you for the opportunity to do this show. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to just talk about this chapter in particular and just the redemption of Peter and and the character of Jesus and just what we're going to learn as we dive into this today, Lord. We give you this show now. We ask you to bless our listeners that uh, they would learn something new about who you are today. In Jesus' name, amen. It, it There's a sense of like satisfaction or gratification or something that we're finishing a book too. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. that's a journey. I mean, every pastor, every leader that's leading their congregation, when they finish a book, you know, if they're expository teachers, there's like a sense of accomplishment. It is. It. Yeah, it is. And we didn't give up. We stayed the course. That's right. <laughs> Through thick and thin. That's it. All right. Man, what an amazing journey. All right. So today's episode, we are finishing up the book of John. Um, chapter 21 will be our topic today. Many people have asked, why did John just not... Why didn't he just end the book in John 20? 
you know, the dramatic testimony of doubting Thomas. That was that's been asked a lot because you have to you when you look at it like wow that's a really good way to end, but he, and, and it almost felt like he did end it. Yeah, and then he's like, wait, I got more. It is. Yeah, it's almost. It, it might be like, did he add twenty one later? He's like, you know what? No, I need to. Kind of feels that way. I need to add a little bit more to this. So, yeah. All right. All right. Many individuals feel he felt compelled to let his readers know that Peter was restored to discipleship. Apart from the information we will read today, we would wonder why Peter was so prominent in the first 12 chapters of Acts. Okay. So, so Luke wrote Acts before John wrote John. So when you look at the chronological, Luke wrote that first. So that was the start of everything that was happening. So John is again, it's almost like he's he's coming back and he's looking back on it. And I think in his mind, he's thinking, yeah, well, Peter's having a huge role and impact. So we need to let the readers know that God restored him and this is what happened. And not only did it, it impact um, Peter, but John probably was impacted just the same by the what transpired that day. Yeah. Again, he was eyewitness. He's yeah. sitting right next, yeah. right next to Peter when this is going yeah. on. Yeah. All right. Another purpose John had in writing John twenty-one is that he wanted to refute the foolish rumor that had spread among other believers that John would live until the return of Jesus. He made it clear in verse twenty-three that the Lord's words had been greatly misunderstood. He also wanted to teach his readers how to relate to the risen Christ. It was important. It was an important time for the disciples because they were about to take God's place in the world and begin to carry the message to others. Yeah, that's huge. All right, so let's read. So let's let's title this, Jesus is Still Transforming Lives Today. And uh, let's read what, John 21, 1 through 8. Let's read out of the ESV. Okay, let's get started. <clears throat> after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples. So after this, so Meditata. back up, back up a little bit. So after what? After what? happened in the last part the book so the purpose of this book so the, he ended it in the purpose of this book so he's done so he's saying now after that was all said oh yeah and this was right after doubting thomas and all that stuff too yeah. right okay so that makes sense and then again kind of like giving context yeah. like giving context yeah. all right so after this jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of tiberius pete was just there how cool is that very and he revealed himself in this way simon peter Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Pete, uh, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, I don't know if that's how he said it. He might have said, I'm going fishing. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly how or he said it. Or he might have said, I, I am going am fishing. fishing. Yeah, in a frustration. Maybe. Oh, yeah, he might have yeah, been. You never could know. be. We never know. Didn't say. Nope. They said to him, we'll go with you. So they went out, got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Interesting. Mm. Just as day was breaking. Hmm. So much stuff in here. Yeah. I got just, yeah, I got to read. I could, I could just start talking and don't want to do that. Right. All right. Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children. Do you have any fish? Can you? The sarcasm is dripping yeah. here. Oh, I, yeah. I know it is. Huge. Let me remind you guys about this whole book of John. Jesus is God. He knows they have not caught any fish. But he, he has says a sense of humor. He does. Yeah. So when he says children, he's like, oh, never mind. Here I go. I got so many notes in my margins here. Right. 
do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Can you imagine what, yeah. what is this guy like, telling us? Okay, to, whatever. Yeah, whatever, dude. Cast the, So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, we know who that is, right? Yes, that was John. That was John. Therefore yeah. said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, and that inter- never mind. Yeah. He put his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for there, for they were not far from land, but only about a hundred yards off. There's a, okay. So much stuff. So this is up in Capernaum. So this is the, the North region up. If you guys look at Sea of Galilee on a map, Capernaum's on the top left. And this took place sort by history that it says there's a Catholic church there now which was south of Capernaum. It was down below a little bit. That's where they say that this episode took place. Kind of like the northwest yeah. part of the sea. Yeah. So they have like this whole whole thing there, this Catholic thing. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. All right. The, ca- the Catholic Church tour. Yeah. All right. But they've restored a lot of those, or restored, I guess, protected maybe. I of don't course. Know. Yeah. We don't know what's real or what's not real, yeah. but sure. Whatever. That's cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right, Jesus had instructed his disciples to meet him in Galilee, which helps explain why they were there at the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, you should obey Christ. Yeah. But John did not explain why Peter decided to go fishing. Some people had suggested suggested that he was within his rights to do so because he needed to pay his bills and that he knew what was best. Others believe that Peter had been called away from that kind of life and that it was wrong for him to return to doing that, doing what? Fishing. Yes, what do you think, and why did Jesus call so many fishermen to follow him? Yeah, I think that when you when you actually study that and you start looking at the disciples, that's a great question. Why? I mean, there's a lot of fishermen here, you know? So what does Jesus expect? I mean, they're fishermen. You're going to go up there, and there's a boatload of there's disciples fishing. You know, it's just, you know, why would he why would he call them? But back to your first question, whether Peter and his friends were right or wrong, we cannot prove that, but I personally believe they were wrong and did not fully understand God's calling on their lives. With regards to your second question, I would think fishermen are courageous and Jesus looked for brave people to follow him. They're also dedicated to one thing and can't easily be distracted. Fishermen don't quit. I mean, if they can't find something, they're going to keep going and going and going because what else is their options? They got to feed, they got to figure it out. So they just, they have perseverance. You know, I don't know. This is all speculation, but that's my thoughts. Yeah. Let me speculate a little too, because Uh, I love to fish, but you you know they don't call it catching, right? They call it they call it fishing, and fishermen have to be very patient, and and a lot of times you can't be goal oriented, and I think that's a good reminder for us as Christians. So, so many times we're like, well, I want to share the gospel, but what if they? What if I get rejected? What if I say no? Well, that's not the point. The no. point is to be obedient, to do the to do the thing you're supposed to do, not focus on the outcome. Yeah. I think fishermen are really they have to be really good at that yeah. because there's so much time of we, we didn't catch anything all night. Yeah. There's <laughs> no all night doing what we, yeah. we know to do, but there was no immediate, uh, you, immediate gratification. You got to keep getting back. You got to yeah. keep going. You got to keep, and you got to stay patient. You got to keep going, especially if it's your livelihood and that's what you do. But back to that first question again, it's, I don't, we don't know why Peter went. I personally, I still think he's working out his salvation here. Hmm. He's still trying to figure out what in the world is going on. 
yeah, we now seen Jesus. Yeah, we now have peace. We know he's there, but I'm still like, what is my purpose, God? What am I doing? Yeah, I can imagine yeah. the enemy is just just going at people right yeah. now too, because he's he's reminding them constantly, oh yeah, you yeah, you're the you're the big guy. You're the guy that you know denied him three times to a little girl. Yeah. You know, I, can you imagine what the devil is like speaking into his ear right here? Yeah. And I think that's part of it. So I mean, almost it's like I got to get rid of that noise. I got to go back to what I know. Let me let me go fishing. And there's a obviously there was a divine thing happening here. I mean, God saw it. He's he's really when God deals with us in circumstances, it's he's dealing with it's a heart condition. And so God is dealing with this directly straight on asking them, you know, in his sarcasm or whatever. Hey, did you catch anything? It's it's <laughs> it's he's not looking at the physical side of this at all. He's looking at the spiritual side of this. He's looking at the heart of this. And um, so God did not allow them to catch any fish for a reason. Mm. And we have to understand that. There's some things that happen in our life that don't happen and they don't materialize because God is involved in it. Mm. And he's basically saying, hey, I'm here. Are you going to listen to me? Are you going to search for me? And there's times where God is, is, is making himself overly obvious to us. Like he brings that one person into your life or... You know, that message that was spoken by the pastor was like overly obvious that it's to, he's speaking to you or you turn on a worship or you turn on this, whatever you're seeing it everywhere. God sometimes makes it overly obvious. And then sometimes we have a choice. Either we can accept it or we can deny it. Mm. And in Peter's case, he's like, no, I'm not. I know God too well. He has way too deep of a connection with Jesus to say, no, I'm, I know my God's my, my my God's voice. And he went running to it. All right, let's get into it. Awesome. After Jesus' resurrection, we have read a couple times and again here that the disciples did not recognize him when he appeared to them on the seashore. He asked them a question that expected a negative reply. Of course, it. he already knows the answer. Yeah. You have not caught anything to eat, have you? They were their reply was brief and perhaps embarrassing. No. What do you think is going on here? I love it because again, I just kind of reiterated the the spiritual thing, but it was a time for Jesus to take over the situation. That's really what's happening. Yeah. He's taking back control here. So he he asked the question, they responded, and he's like, All right, game on, right? So he's taking over the situation, just as he did when he called Peter into discipleship. He told them where to cast the net. They obeyed and they caught 153 fish. Keep in mind that they were never, we are never far from success when we permit Jesus to give the orders. And we are usually closer to success than we realize. Right after their success, it was John that first recognized it was Jesus. And the true, and and then true to Peter's character, he puts on his outer garments and dove into the water. When we finally surrender to God's perfect will and he reveals it to us, this is how we should respond with great joy and excitement at the goodness of God. So um <clears throat> how this spoke to me is. In my past, I have a lot of testimony of me trying to make things happen, trying to figure out my next steps, trying to figure out how to make money, trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And I've come up found wanting in every one of them. And it's so frustrating. And it's like, Lord, what else do I got to do? Da, da, da. And all he's constantly saying is, listen, I'm not in the midst of that. And, and you're so close, son, but you're still so far away. And, and that's kind of where it is here. We're so close, but we're still so far away. It's until we finally hmm. rest. It's until we finally listen and be still 
in his presence, can God actually speak to us and tell us our next steps? And in sometimes, sometimes God says, um, doesn't say anything for a period of time. Sometimes he allows us to bask in his glory and just continue to seek him and seek him and seek him until he finally says anything. But sometimes he'll answer right away like he did with them. Sometimes he'll reveal himself sometimes right away. In this case, it was quick. In our case, sometimes it takes months, sometimes years. But God is saying, don't try to figure this out yet. You continue to follow me. And we're going to talk about that. You continue to press into me. And in the meantime, so he is good. You know, I'm a numbers guy, right? <laughs> Why do you think John put 153 fish? That's a great question. I asked myself the same question. I have no idea. I'm I got a couple of theories. Well, the what? first the first one I don't think is a theory. I think it's because there were 153 fish. I think that's exactly why he put 153. Yeah. But the funny part is that they counted them. Yeah. Which makes me think. So here's, here's and they recorded my, it. Here's and recorded it. So here's where my mind goes. I think it was a record. Huh. I think it was the most fish they'd ever caught. That's yeah. why they caught it. You know, maybe the old record was like 51 fish or something, yeah. and they're like just blown away so much so that they counted the fish yeah. and that John remembered it. Yeah, so it had to be yeah. it had to be meaningful in some way to them. That's good, good maybe not, because I, yeah. I just don't think it's just random. I think it. But I mean, when God answers big prayers to us, we remember the details. Yeah, when things happen in our own life, like you know, oh my gosh, God answered my prayer there, and we can remember a lot of details. So that's probably it was a big deal. God likes going off too. Yeah. yeah, when he shows up, he shows up and shows off. Yeah. Anyway, I, I thought that funny to me. Mm. Again, I'm a numbers guy. I love it. All right. Jesus called the disciples and all of us to be fish. All of us. Is that right? Everybody. To be fishers of men. Yes. This phrase was not invented by Jesus. It was used for years by the Greek and Roman teachers. To be a fisher of men in that day meant to seek to persuade men and to catch them with the truth. A fisherman catches living fish, but when he catches them or he gets them, they die. So... How does this statement, fishers of men, apply to Christians today? Yeah, I mean, that's really cool to have a little background there, right? So understanding that during that time, the Greeks really are the ones that invented it. And then the Romans just took it and said, hey, I want you to be a fisher of men. And so what they were telling them is, I want you to persuade men and catch them with the truth. I want you to, you know, help people understand the truth. You're my fishermen. You're going to, that's what you're going to do. But a Christian witness seeks to catch dead fish. We know that as they're dead in their sins. And then when he or she catches them, <clears throat> they are made alive in Christ. It makes sense now why so many of his disciples were fishermen. They were hard workers and would understand that to catch men for Jesus would be hard work, but worth the effort if Jesus is leading the work. So good. So, I mean, that's, that's you know, when we look at the Bible as a whole or context, Jesus is telling his disciples to make disciples. And he's saying, I want your whole focus to be on expanding the territory, taking back the land that Satan has controlled. And, and I, that's why I'm calling every Christian to do. I'm calling every one of us to do that. And that you have a role and you have a responsibility to be fishers of men. And then Jesus is telling them at the same time is, I will supply your fish. The byproduct is I'm going to take care of your means. I'm going to, yeah, there's still worker. Maybe they still, you mean, Paul was a tent worker. They probably did fishing still. We don't know about but he goes, but it's, you're not catching the fish because it's your effort. You're catching the fishes because I'm giving you the fish. Mm. You are to make fishers of men. Your heart is to be aligned, to be obedient to me and go and make disciples. That's what he's saying. So thoughts? 
Oh, that's really good. What a great picture. Yeah. And I, I never heard that part about the the Romans and the Greeks already yeah. using that term. So that it just gives it more context. It, it makes, does. It makes more sense. Yep. That's why we dive deep, right? Yep. It, it just makes it makes every it, just, it comes alive. Yeah. Yep. Color. Yep. Brings everything in color instead yep. of black and white. Yep. All right. Let's continue our reading down in verse nine. Okay. When they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out it laid out on it. So he's already, Jesus is already cooking fish and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish. Sorry, got to turn the page. Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish. In fact, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so and so with the fish. This is this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. That's powerful. We're going to talk about that. What in the heck is he talking about? There? All right. So our next kind of our next yeah. point, Pete, Jesus met his disciples on the beach where he had already prepared breakfast for them. This entire scene must have stirred Peter's memory and touched his conscience. You, you said it. Remember you said about the coal. Yes. What, what, talk about that. What were you saying? Oh, so the coal, the the word. It's I think it's uh, anthrocyte. It's a Greek word, and it's only used two times in the entire Bible, and it's those two places. It's where Peter denies knowing Jesus as he's warming himself over the coals in Jerusalem, and then this fire that Jesus built on the beach. They use that word again. The only two places in all the Bible it's used. That's fascinating. That's not fascinating. a coincidence. No, that's not a coincidence. And he's and and it was Peter the first time, and it's yep. Peter this time. Yep. And he's directing his attention to Peter. Yep. And John is recognizing, wait, that that's significant. Beautiful. And he's talking about it. This uh, is somebody else talking about Peter's experience. Yep. Right. So yeah, I would think so. The fire of coals would certainly have reminded him of the fire at which he denied Jesus. It was it is good for us to remember our past. We may have something to confess as Peter did. So I look at it this way. When I am struggling or I am needing God's comfort or peace and I'm and I'm in his presence or I'm walking in his spirits, I've denied my flesh, I've denied the world's ways and I'm saying, God, I choose you and I want to rest and I want to be with you. God a lot of times reveals my past and he reveals things to me that I don't want to remember. Or he'll bring up an image or he'll bring up something that I've seen. I was like, whoa, that brings me back memories. Mm. And um, and that's what's happening here. And, and, and it's in that moment 
when God reveals that, or when I see something, I know my past is ugly there or something's there. Maybe we need to just confess it. Yeah. Maybe we, maybe we're holding on. Maybe it's, it's still controlling our lives. Maybe it's caused self-protection in your life. Maybe there's something deeper there. And there's a reason why God has revealed it to you at this moment. Same thing with Jesus. Maybe he's trying to say something, but in order for him to really speak to you in that level, you're going to have to confess it. You're going to have to repent of it. So I think that's kind of what's happening. So that coal scene is a big deal. So yeah. that's let like, me give you that word. It's, it's anthrochean. Yeah. Anthrochean. It's in John 18, 18. And then again, we see it where we just, we just read, um, I don't know, John 21, Help me out. Yeah. <laughs> where, where did I just 21 read? 21 verse 18. Verse 9, maybe? Or 9, yeah. Yeah, verse that? 9. Yeah. So 18, 18, and 21, 9. So yeah, yeah look that up. Make, make sure I'm not make sure I'm not telling you a lie. I think that's the only two places in the Bible. It is. I've looked into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. fun. Yeah, you're right. But right. I mean, but again, what is, so the question is, what is the coal experience in your own life? Because God will bring it back. God's going to reveal something to you. So, I mean, be, when you're listening to this, ask the Lord, is there anything in me that I need to confess? Okay. So you could speak to me. We see three invitations in John's gospel. Love this. Come and see. Mm. Remember back in um, verse uh, chapter one? Yep. That's with, um, oh, Nathaniel, right? Yep. Okay, so come and see. We hear, come and drink. Yep. And come and dine. Yep. How loving of Jesus to feed Peter before he dealt with his spiritual needs. He gave him an opportunity to dry off, to get warm, satisfy his hunger, and enjoy personal fellowship. It's... um. This is a good example for us to follow as we care for <laughs> God's people. Certainly the spiritual is more important than the physical, but caring for the physical can prepare the way for the spiritual ministry. Such a good point. Jesus does not so emphasize the soul that he neglects the body. And in one of the things that I'm heavily involved in, and many of you, our listeners know, is I work with an organization called Natural Discipleship. That, that organization is, is we offer tools, discipleship tools to people all over the world to be able to have a multiplication discipleship ministry. But since we've been doing that, we've come across a lot of people in really third world countries that are, that are, that are heavily involved with natural discipleship, but they have no needs. They have hardly any money. Some of them only have one pair of clothes. They barely have food. And we looked at this and said, man, well, here we are serving these people or helping them to get these tools so they can have this personal multiplying discipleship ministry, but we're not meeting the needs. And so we started looking at it as a ministry and just say, hey, God met needs. And this is the verse, one of the verses that we use is God looks at our needs, our physical needs, and he wants to meet those, but it opens up the door for the spiritual. And so we're always looking for ways of how are we meeting physical needs, you know, feed the poor or whatever. But in our ministry, that's what we're doing. And so we're helping people in their physical needs so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can continue to spread from the spiritual. So, that's a great point. Yeah. All right. Peter had denied Jesus publicly. So it is important for Jesus to restore Peter publicly. So beautiful. Sin should be dealt with only to the extent that it is known. Private sin should be confessed in private public sins in public. So what we see here is that since Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus asked Peter three personal questions. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I, I think that like of a sin between you and I or whatever, that you and I should go to each other and just say, Hey, what's going on? But if you made a public spectacle of something, 
and it was in a public way. Now it needs to be dressed in a public way because a lot of people were affected by it in public. And so that's the same thing that happened with, with Peter. He publicly made a spectacle about it, and now he's going to have to restore him publicly. Same thing. So that's kind of where that comes from, and we understand that. It, we'd much rather you know, take it silently to somebody and something the Bible tells us that go to them, you know, if two or two of your brothers go and if they still don't repent, bring somebody else. And if they still don't repent, then that's between them and the Lord and you have to let them go. Um, but if you do that and they do give and they repent and now you have, you gained a brother and they've strengthened because of it. So, but this way, Jesus is like saying, Hey, you publicly did this. And now I'm going to publicly share this truth with you. But the way that Jesus publicly did it, was all is filled with grace, mercy, and love. Love. Yep. That's the key. If we're going to address somebody, we must really look at our own self first and and understand: Am I doing this myself? Is there is there sin in me? Am I in the right spirit here? And in and how we know if we're in the right spirit, we are always elevating the brother. We're always speaking in love. We're always doing it in gentleness. There's no harsh, no condemnation in that. And Jesus really, really gives us um, that example here. Yeah, but, I don't, I don't get the sense that Jesus is humiliating Peter in front of the other no, disciples. No, he's not using this as a, this is a teaching moment. No, I'm gonna, uh, no. you know, I'm gonna teach all the other ones at the same time while no. I kind of ridicule Peter. No. It's all love. All love. All love. And it's done in gentleness, and it's done for restoration, and it's done for elevation till God is glorified. But the key issue is Peter's love for Jesus, and that should be a key matter for with us today. But what did Jesus mean when he said, more than these? Was he saying, do you love me more than you love these other men? Not likely, because this has had never been a problem among the disciples. They all loved Jesus supremely, even though they did not always obey him completely. Isn't that true with us? But another guess would be, is Jesus asking, do you love me more than you love these boats, these nets, and these fish? I don't think that's that's what he's saying either, because there is no evidence that Peter ever desired to go back permanently into the fishing business. We just don't know that. Fishing did not seem to complete with uh, seem to compete with his love. I would think the question meant, do you love me as you claimed, more than these other disciples love me? Remember, he boasted of this love for Christ and even contrasted it with the other men in Matthew 26, 33, when he said, though all men shall be offended because of you, yet I will not be offended. Hmm. And so when he's talking to them and he's looking at all the disciples, he's, he's dealing with his pride. He's looking at him and he's dealing with his pride. Peter, you are still in control. You went fishing, you led these guys, you still feel like you're better. And I'm dealing with your pride right now. And that's what he's asking him. And Peter's recognizing that. And he's looking at that. And he's like, hmm, Lord, you know, I love you. I got caught, but you know, I love you. And now he's working through it. So, all right, hmm. let's work through this part. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, yeah. Peter's still leading, whether yep. he was leading yep. for Christ or he's leading yep. on the lake going yep. fishing. Yep. He's still the lead. Yep. He's dealing. Jesus deals with our heart condition. Most of the time, even it is for me, I don't know where you're at, but it's pride. And and it's, I work really hard. I did this. I'm, man, everything is happening for me. Man, this is amazing. I must be doing, I must be living righteously. God's blessing me. You know, whatever it is, I have pride building up. Or even when I fail, I justify it. You know, oh, that happened because of this. Or that happened because of that. It has nothing to do with my pride. 
Hmm. It's because of this or whatever else it is. And, and what Jesus will do is like, he'll cut through all of that and he'll get right to the question. And it's usually very short like this. Do you love me? It's, it's whenever Jesus speaks with me, it's, it's not a lot. It's really simple. And it's like, it cuts right through all the mess. And that's when we know, okay, God, listen, because he's going to share something with you. All right. Awesome. Many commentaries point out that in this conversation, two different words are used for love. In his question in John 21, 15, and 16, Jesus used agape, which we know in the Greek means his highest kind of love, a love period. It was a divine love. But Peter always responded with the word phileo. Phileo, yeah. Phileo, sorry, for love, which is the love for a friend or fondness for another. Then in John 21, 17, Jesus and Peter both used the word phileo. What is going on here? Is it so? This so what you just what we just basically said was we looked at the Bible now in context. We did not take this out of context. We wanted to see what is happening in context. At one time, Jesus is using the word agape to describe this kind of love, and then another time he's using the word phileo. But it's the context is still is the agape, and it goes back and forth, and so. If people are reading this and studying this out of context, they're going to say, well, G, well G, uh, Peter's not loving God with agape love. You know, God's only loving him, and he's not saying it back. That's not what's being said here. We have to look at this in context. Phileo and agape were used tra- in, transferably. They were used in different ways. And so, well, it's, it's doubtful that we should make too much of the issue over this because the two words are often used interchangeably and throughout the guns. For instance, in John 3.16, for God used God used agape for love, but in John sixteen twenty seven he used phileo for love. It's saying the exact same thing in context. For God so loved, he's saying phileo or he's saying agape. This happens throughout the gospel. So before we judge Peter too severely, let's consider two other matters. When Peter answered the first two questions, Peter affirmed his agape love when he said yes, Lord. He's affirming it. Jesus said, "Do you love me, agape?" And Peter's saying, yes, agape. That's what he's saying. We have to understand that in context, okay? The fact that Peter himself used phileo did not negate his wholehearted assent to the Lord's use of agape. He was affirming it. He was just, that word there was translated as phileo. Secondly, Peter and Jesus undoubtedly spoke in Aramaic. Even though the Holy Spirit recorded the conversation in common Greek, it might be unwise for us to press the Greek too far in this case. I believe in spite of his faults and failures, Peter did love the Lord. I think it's obvious here. I think there's common sense here, and he was not ashamed to admit it. My guess is that the other disciples were listening intently to what was being said because they too had failed Jesus after boasting of their devotion. Hmm. So it's, I think there's been a lot, I've listened to a lot of sermons at, that have really attacked Peter here and, and tried to come down. But when I did the deep dive in this, it, I softened my approach to that a little bit. And I'm thinking that because it's used interchangeably, because it was probably spoken in Aramaic and now we're translated in common Greek, I I, I cannot doubt that Jesus, I, I cannot doubt Peter saying, I I love you, God, with everything. I know that for a fact. There's, there's no doubting my mind yeah. here. He knows he messed up. He knows that, you know, he is his God. He knows all of that. That's, that's, I mean, when God reveals, when God shows up in your presence, you're humbled, man. I mean, come on. I mean, you're like changed, right? 
But but Jesus is really dealing with his pride here. He's trying to let him know that, Peter, it's no longer about you. You're no longer a fisherman. You're a fisher of men. It's no longer about your life. It's about my life. It's no longer about you controlling the next steps of your life. It's about me controlling the next steps of your life. And he's using this as an example to help reveal to Peter, Lord, you know everything. I trust you. You know everything. You're right. I'm sorry. You're right. I love you. Hmm. That's what's happening here. All right. So good. We see the image, however, changes from that of a fisherman to that of a shepherd. Mm. Peter was to minister both as an evangelist, catching fish, and a pastor, shepherding the flock. Shouldn't these two always go together? I think so. And, I, and I've, I've known pastors that were evangelists, but not shepherd, shepherd of the flock. I've, I've known them. Um, I've known some pastors that were not evangelists at all, and they were just, they only focusing on discipleship or just so forth. The, the, the greatest pastors, when God calls them, is that they're always looking for people that do not know the Lord to come to know the Lord. And then once they come to know the Lord, then their main focus is now they need to be a discipled in the Lord. So yes, pastors ought to evangelize and then shepherd the people they have so they can mature in the Lord. Jesus gave three admissions to Peter, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, and feed my sheep. Both the lambs and... Uh, and the more mature sheep need feeding and leading, and that is the task of a spiritual shepherd. It is awesome responsibility to be a shepherd of God's flock. There are enemies that want to destroy the flock, and the shepherd must be alert and courageous. By nature, sheep are ignorant and defenseless, and they need protection and guidance of the shepherd. So when I'm talking with uh, a group, a Bible study group, and there's a bunch of, let's just say the men's fellowship, when I'm I'm listening to all the responses that are happening within the, the the fellowship, most of the time I never say anything. I don't need to say anything. But if I hear something where it's off, and the the sheep are they're going in a direction that is not very best, that's when I will step in. That's when I will share something. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd is there to help bring truth to protect the sheep from maybe wandering off or getting caught up into a trap or something in that realm. And then also a shepherd's responsibility is to bring people into the fold. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're evangelizing, they're sharing, they're, they're teaching their people to evangelize and to, and to bring that into the fold because that's our commandment and go and make disciples, bring them and, and share with them, you know? And so that's what Jesus is telling Peter here. This is going to be your role and responsibility. Not everybody's a pastor. That's not what it's being. Peter was called to be a pastor here. Okay. He's called to that, but we are all called to be evangelists and disciples. All of us are. And I, and we may might be a little, little bit different. Some people might say, hey, well, I'm a, I have the gift of giving money and so forth. And I don't have the gift of talking to people, but I, but I promise you that if you allow God to have access to your life and you say, God, I will do what you asked me to do. And I will share my faith with whoever that you ask, and I will disciple them. God will allow that person. You will find connectivity somehow, and and you'll and you'll be surprised by yourself. Um, but He wants all of us to do that. He wants us to get outside of our comfort zone. Get stop being behind the TV all day long. He wants us to be out in vulnerability. I I truly rather not be in public. Truthfully, I'd rather be in my room. But God says, "No, son, I I need you out. 
I need you to be available for me. And, and that's what we have to do. All right. All right, let's finish up the chapter. Um, back to verse 19. This he said, um, he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord. That's John, by the way. Yeah, yeah it's John. Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad and among brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I love that statement. So Jesus had just spoken about Peter's life and ministry, and now he talks about Peter's death. That's funny. To this me. must have been a shock to Peter to have the Lord discuss his death in such an open manner. With that, there is no doubt Peter was rejoicing that he had been restored to fellowship and apostleship. So why do you think Jesus brings up martyrdom? I, I mean, a part of it, we're going to get into it a little bit more, but I'm just thinking, you know, here is Jesus restoring him. I'm sure there was a big hug. There was, there was tears, there was loving. Peter probably has his joy. The weight is lifted off of him and is like, he's like a, a, exuberant, right? Ah, this is incredible. And then he's like, I'm going to talk about your death now, right? <laughs> it, and it's almost like, it's almost like Jesus, you know, Paul, it talks about the thorn in the flesh. I know what my thorn in the flesh is. And I, and I, and I, and God reveals it to me. And that would be uh, lust or whatever, the lust of the flesh. And so whenever I have that happen to me, I've asked God to take that away millions of times. And many guys that are listening to that probably say, yeah, that's me too. But what, But I still struggle with it. I'm still tempted by it. And it reminds me of my desperate need of a savior. And, and God uses certain things to help keep me humble for one and help keep me pursuing his holiness. Because every time that ugly thing tries to pop its head up, man, I have to turn and run, right? So I've learned, I have to learn new habits, new practices, new, new ways. And it's, and it's constantly there as a messenger of Satan. It's constantly there. Well, here's Peter, a prideful man. We know that already. He's already this boastful kind of guy. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. All right, let's talk about your death. It's like, wait, wait, come on, come on. Can I enjoy this for a moment? But first time Jesus spoke about his own death, Peter had opposed it in Matthew 6, 21. But Peter had even used his sword in the garden and attempted to protect Jesus from death. You remember that? But yet Peter had boasted he would die for Jesus. But when the pressure was on, Peter failed miserably. Anyone who yields himself to serve the Lord must honestly confront this matter of death. When a person has settled the matter of death, then he is ready to live and to serve. Remember, Paul's great concern was that he glorified God, whether by life or by death, Philippians 1, 20, 21. Hmm. So if we are not afraid to die, because Paul very much said, I do not fear the sting of death, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. We have to come to terms with that. And if you're afraid to die, 
then you can't be an effective witness for Christ because you're always going to be worried about what Satan's going to be saying or what he's going to be doing. And to be effective in the gospel, we have to be willing to sacrifice it all. We have to be willing to be vulnerable. We have to be willing to trust God completely. I mean, Peter was put in prison by the Pharisees and, and beaten and said, do not say anything ever again about this Jesus. Angel of, comes in the night, unleashes them. He goes to the people and, and, uh, at, you know, they were praying for him. He tells them, Hey, I'm alive. The very next morning, Peter and John were preaching in the synagogue. They just told him and beat him and put him in jail. Peter did not fear death. Hmm. He knew that he was going to die eventually, but he put that behind him. And I think this is what Jesus is telling Peter to now. And he's telling us the same thing. There was a report um, by the uh, about uh, the war in Israel about the Muslims. And one of the reports says, here's the difference between Jews and Muslims. Muslims don't fear death, but Jews do. Jews want to live, but us Muslims don't fear it. We're willing to do whatever it takes and we'll die in the name of God. But Jews always are trying to protect their life and so forth. So the same thing with Christians. We're very much like that. We should not fear death. But the difference between us and Muslim is that we're not trying to take the their land or whatever by force or by evil or by control or by rape or pillage or whatever else. We want to take the kingdom of God by loving them, by elevating them above themselves, by speaking life into people and by helping them see the truth of God and how much he loves them has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with God. So that's the difference between religion and God. But the, the concept's the same. We don't want to fear death. But the, the difference in approach is Jesus is completely different than any other religion that's out there. All right. Thoughts? Uh, that's just really good stuff. Yeah. Good, good point about uh, uh, about doing it through love and not through force yeah. and, and power. When Jesus said to Peter, follow me, I would guess that brought new joy and love to Peter's heart. Peter must have remembered all the foolish things he had done in the past, and yet Jesus is telling him, you just keep following me. No matter if you fail again, get back up and follow me. Yeah, and he's telling them this because what Peter is being, what he, Jesus is trying to talk to him about is, he's saying, well, what about these other guys? Or what about this thing? Or what about all this? And, and that's what Satan tries to do. When we get our eyes off of the Lord, now look at Peter. He got his eye off the Lord. He sank, right? Yep. yep. It's it's what he's telling him is, is no matter when you sin, no matter what you do, when you get your eyes off of him or whatever, you continue to keep following me. My promises to you, Peter, is never going to change. I, my love for you is never going to change. You might fall short. You might stub your toe, but you continue to follow me. You continue to seek after me. And, and I will always, always love you and take care of you. And so the promise is amazing, but we need to be careful not to allow Satan to make us believe the lie that we are not good enough to God. Mm. He constantly is trying to remind us of that. He's constantly trying to say that we're unworthy. Yes, we're not un we are unworthy, but Jesus is not. Just continue following me. My love is the same. You just continue to become press into me. And we must also be aware of getting our eyes on other Christians' mistakes and other circumstances outside of our control. This only gets our eyes off of Jesus. Peter is learning that even though this is what he did, Jesus will never forsake him and only keep calling him to follow him. It's not about what we did or what we're going to do. Jesus' love for us is never going to change. He's just going to continue to say, follow me. 
It's we might be in the worst circumstance in our life. And finally we say, God, I can't do this anymore. Is there anything? And he might just say to you, says, Hey son, I love you. Follow me. That might be the only thing that he says. And that right there, if you listen to that will transform your life because following Jesus is the greatest thing that you ever can do. Amen. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off the circumstances. Get your eyes off of other people and just follow him. Oh, comparison is deadly. Yep. All right. As John comes to the close of his book, he affirmed again the credibility of his witness. John witnessed these events himself and wrote them and, and then wrote them for us. So as I can't read today no. and wrote them for us as he was led by the Holy Spirit. He could have included so much more, but he wrote only what the Spirit told him to write. The book ends with Peter and John together following Jesus, and he led them right into the book of Acts. I think that's the key. I think we have to, and John says this, and Paul says this all the time, this is not me writing this. This is the Spirit of God. This is God-inspired. This is the Word of God. Um, I'm writing to you in obedience to what God is telling me. So I'm sure that right when they started writing, and you know how you've heard about the oracle of God or whatever, it gives them ideas and they just start writing and so forth. That's what's happening. Paul, God, Paul, John is just sitting there and saying, all right, God, I want to be obedient, whatever. And he just starts writing. And then, man, the spirit of God is bringing to mind all of these truths. And that happens to me. So when the Bible says, by the word of your testimony, that's what's happening. So this is by the word of his testimony. When, when you have a testimony for God, the Bible says, open your mouth and the Holy Spirit reveal. Once he's put it inside of you, now you go and share that to other people. And it's no longer you that's speaking. How many times have we listened to our shows and look, man, I don't remember ever saying that. Well, it happens a lot. All the time. And it's, and, or someone would say something to us, man, I was literally thankful for what you said. And you don't even remember that you said that. Mm. And maybe you didn't even say that, but the Spirit of God revealed that to them. Good point. And so it's, it's but it's the Holy Spirit is the one that inspired the book of John. My life is transformed because of Book of John. That, that book has radically changed me. It's helped me. I have salvation because of it. Mm. You know, Paul's epistles are great, but man, John's epistle was the best. I mean, because it really helped me see the eyewitness account of who Jesus Messiah was. Right. I saw his miracles. I understood exactly the character of who Jesus was because of John. And so thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving John this. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving in us to share our testimony, to share what you're doing inside of us. By the word of our testimony, we proclaim the truth of Jesus to the rest of the world. And so thank you, Jesus. But what an exciting thing it must have been to receive the power of the Spirit and bear witness of Jesus. Had they not trusted him, been transformed by him, and followed him, they would have remained successful fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, and the world would never have heard of them. Jesus is still transforming lives today. And Lord, I just pray today that the people that are listening to this, I pray that you would touch their heart and their minds. I pray that there would be a transformation in their in their in every aspect of their life. If there's many that are listening today that don't know you, I just pray right now that they would just say, God, forgive me of my sins. I confess my sins before you. I want to believe in you. I want to believe that you died on the cross and rose again on the third day. I want to believe that you are the Messiah, the living God. And I want you to touch my life the way that you touched the disciples' life. And, and, and if you said that in your heart and your mind, then the Bible says that all the angels in heaven are rejoicing. And if you're listening right now and, and, um, and you want to repent, repent. Stop going the way of the world. Just follow Jesus. 
You might be in a state of mind where Peter was. Maybe there's pride that's controlling you. What Jesus is telling you right now is to stop and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. And so I just pray that uh, you're doing that. But if you did give your life to the Lord, we would love to hear from you. Um, uh, what's your name, Bob? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's your name. Yeah, well, how can they get a hold of us? <laughs> oh, you're funny, Pete. Um, the best way is just go to our website. Go to the Riot Podcast. Click on the No God tab. Scroll down to the bottom, and there's a there's like a little form there that you can fill out to just reach out to us, ask us any questions you may have, and uh, just give us a way to reach back out to you. Man, we love hearing from our listeners, and so that's one easy way to do it. You can also go to our social media sites. Uh, you can go to Facebook, you can go to X, you can go to YouTube. Uh, make sure that you subscribe and follow in any of those areas so that you're notified anytime a new podcast comes out. But Pete, can I take a minute? I want to share something yeah, with you. Do it. So I have this, uh, John is one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. And it's the only book in the Bible where I have I have a piece of paper that kind of breaks down all 21 verses and like the highlights of mm. each of those 21 verses. And I just read it. Yeah. As, as we finish this book of John, I wanted to just kind of, this is just a great recap and it won't take long, but it just it goes verse by our chapter by chapter and kind of a key point for me in each of those chapters. So chapter one, the word of God, the word becomes flesh, come and see chapter two, water becomes water to wine. Jesus's first sign three Nicodemus. You must be born again. Four, the woman at the well, and the official son is healed, the second sign. Um, chapter five, the pool of Bethesda, and the third sign. Chapter six, feeds the 5,000, the fourth sign, and also calls himself the bread of life. Um, chapter seven, the crowd, uh, the crowd starts to seek to kill Jesus. There's division among the people. Chapter eight, the woman caught in adultery, and Jesus saying, I am. Um, chapter nine, heals the blind man, the fifth sign. Chapter 10, the good shepherd. Uh, chapter 11, Lazarus is raised from the dead, the sixth sign. Chapter 12, Mary anoints Jesus on Palm Sunday. 13, Jesus washes his disciples' feet and shares the new commandment. 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and promises us the Holy Spirit. 15, I am the vine. 16, it is better that I go. 17, Jesus' prayer, the greatest prayer of all time. 18, betrayed and arrested. 19, crucified. 20, the resurrection, the seventh sign. In chapter 21, Peter is restored. It's, it's, man, that's like, that, it's the best book. It's awesome. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, Paul, Paul, I love your epistles, but John's, that's, I mean, that's incredible. All that's right. Good. What God a show. You. Thank you guys. Have an amazing week of worship. This has been The Riot Podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please feel free to leave a comment and share it with your friends. See you back here next week for another episode of The Riot Podcast.